Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, your host as always, every Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock in the West Coast, it's 4 o'clock in the East, 21 hours GMT, or UTC, Universal Coordinated Time. And wherever you happen to be, thanks for uh, being with us uh, today, whether live or uh, by replay. Today is the 8th of November, 2009, and our topic is Sense and Sensation. We're going to talk about the difference between thoughts and feelings. Usually when we talk about something making sense, um, we could be talking about sensation, but the idea of something making sense usually is a reference to it appeals to me mentally or intellectually. Uh, it's reasonable, it's rational, and I'm able to think it through carefully. It's uh, logical, and it makes sense. Right? Then sensation, what I mean by sensation would be the affective or the emotional nature. And fortunately, as of uh, 12 or 15 years ago, we, we now have terms like emotional intelligence uh, and emotional management. And even the phrase EQ as opposed to IQ to refer to the second intelligence that uh, in the past, you know, until Daniel Goldman's work at Harvard University, as I say, it's been 12 or 15 years now that we've been able to point to this really good research and say, look, this is being done at major universities and research institutions, and uh, big businesses and small businesses are realizing that their weakest link in most cases, the area of business that needs the most work, is people skills. As we've discussed in the past, you can be a very skilled technician and very good at what you do. And that doesn't mean you know anything about business. And even if you did, that doesn't mean you know anything about how to manage people, how to resolve conflict, how to motivate, uh, how to encourage people to get along and feel like they're part of a team, how to acknowledge uh, hurt and dissatisfaction. Uh, this whole field of emotional intelligence is, at least in an academic sense, fairly new. There have always been, of course, women and men in business and outside of business that had these skills, these social skills, for whatever reason. So, Today we're going to contrast the two, EQ and IQ, emotional intelligence, as opposed to, I'm a little hesitant to even say it that way, maybe in addition to mental intelligence. Compare and contrast the difference between a thought and a feeling. And hopefully you'll find this of value. Many of my private clients and my students, as we get into this field, are stunned 
They won't always admit it, but you can tell. <laughs> Many are quite stunned by how little reflection they have done upon the nature of thoughts and feelings. Uh, most of us don't think about our thinking, and we're not very in touch with our sensation or the feelings that we have, both physical and emotional feelings. You know, it's interesting to me anyway that we have physical feelings, sensations of pain and pleasure that you feel in your body. We have emotional feelings, both positive and negative, that after all, you feel in your body very much like physical pain and pleasure. But we don't have anything called mental feelings. Physical feelings, yes. Emotional feelings, yes. Mental thoughts. We don't have mental feelings, right? Um, it's been suggested that intuition could be a mental feeling, but I would argue that intuition is more in the field of emotional intelligence anyway. That's really what we're talking about. So let's compare the two and see if we can get you to reflect upon your thinking and your feeling because the primary benefit that comes from being aware of the distinctions is the gradual awareness that you are neither of those things that you are not simply your thoughts. Yet most people are driven by their thoughts. Well, why would you do that? Well, I thought it was the right thing to do. You did. Yeah. Well, recap your reasoning for me. Well, I can't, really. It was actually sort of a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, so you didn't think about it that much. You just sort of did it. Well, I thought it was the right thing to do. All right. Or, even worse, so that was a horrible mistake. Why do you think you did that? And someone will say to you, because I felt like it. Oh, you did it because you felt like it. Yeah. Well, what did you think about those feelings before you decided to do what they told you to do? Well, they didn't think about my feelings. I just felt them and did it. Right? Now, you know, we can mock people that are reflexive and, and reactionary that, uh, you know, don't stop, look, and listen, that, that uh, take a leap of behavior or take an action and then think about it later. Uh, what's the axiom? Shoot first, ask questions later. Those people are easy to make fun of until you consider how often it is that we all behave in this way do what we do because we feel like it or because we felt driven by our thoughts, right? If I have a feeling and it's a strong feeling, I've got to do it. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you could slow down, take a breath, uh, alter your brainwave level, go into alpha in the paradise thinking, into a meditation or a contemplative state, a contemplative state, and consider what these feelings are telling you. 
as if they were a foreign language that needs to be translated. And the same thing with people that act reflexively around their thoughts. You know, somebody said, well, I wasn't driven by my feelings, but I was driven by this compelling thought that said, you must do this thing or not do this thing or believe this or reject that because I think so. What do you mean, because you thought so? Was that the only thought you had? Well, no, there was a whole bunch of thoughts that were all mixed up, but uh, this thought seemed to stand above the rest, and so I did that one. Really, just because it seemed to outvote the other thoughts, it seemed to be a stronger thought, so you went with that thought. And, of course, what I'm pointing out hopefully here your understanding is that whether we're, we're driven by our emotional feelings or by our thoughts, we're not as conscious as we should be or could be when we feel driven by either or both. For the truth of who we are as conscious, sentient beings is that we're more than our feelings and were more than our thoughts, we actually have the ability to choose how we think and feel. Now, I think most people would agree with part of this. They'll say, well, I could change my mind. Hey, why'd you do that? Well, I changed my mind. Yeah, I thought you were going to do this. I know, but I thought it through and I changed my mind. But how many people have you ever heard say, well, I felt like doing this or that or the other thing, but I changed my feelings. I changed my heart. Isn't that odd? People will talk about changing their behavior and changing their mind, but not changing their emotional nature. Again, we're looking at the three parts, the trinity in man, the lower correspondence of the so-called divine trinity is the trinity in man, the mental, emotional, and physical nature of a man. So as I said a little earlier in today's program, we have physical, from the bottom up, we have physical feelings and emotional feelings, but we don't have mental feelings. And now we're talking about, well, I can change my physical behavior, I can change my mind, but I don't think I can change my feelings. Can I? Can I change the way I feel? If I'm depressed, could I do something about it? If I'm happy, could I promote that and stay happy longer? Indeed, do I even need a reason to be happy? So does the mind give the emotional nature permission to feel the way it feels? And does every thought have a feeling that we can discern through our emotional nature? And how is it that we never hear anybody talk like this? How is it that we managed as a species to evolve I mean, it's been, what, 
30 years since we put men on the moon and we're uncomfortable talking about the difference between thoughts and feelings. Um, I think it's very bizarre that there is so, not only that there's so little information available, but that there's so little discussion of it and that people who are in the field, so to speak, psychologists, psychotherapists, social workers, uh, life coaches, hypnotherapists, and uh, uh, other personal development or personal empowerment people don't seem to talk very much at all about the distinction between thoughts and feelings and the way the two combine to create an outcome. If you consider these three parts of self, this lower correspondence of the divine trinity, the mental, the emotional, and the physical nature in man, the father, son, and the mother aspect, so to speak, in man, you'll see the formula for manifesting, for creating form, for making things happen for creating the world around you. It starts with a clear idea, a mental thought that we reason through. Um, there's a lot of words for it. Ideation is a word Plato used, idea. Um, cogitate. You don't hear people talk much about cogitation, I'm going to cogitate on this, I'm going to think about it, but that's another way of talking about the process. Or People will just say, well, give me some time to, to think about it, I want to ponder it, I, I, I'm going to turn it over in my mind again and again and again until I can figure it all out. And then as we get a clear, specific image of what we want mentally, the ideal is to pick up an emotion as a force to push the energy of the idea. So the mental nature we often think of in metaphysics as the energy and the emotional nature as the force behind the energy. If you're familiar at all with Ohm's Law and the way electricity and magnetism work, you'll see exactly the same thing. Or amperage is like the energy. It's the volume of electricity. 20 amps, 30 amps, 40 amps. How much electricity? That's the energy. Voltage is called the electromagnetic force, the EMF. Voltage is the pressure or the push behind the amperage. Well, in the same way, Consider that your emotions are the drive or the force, the push behind the idea. Such that a great idea, even the best idea you ever had, if you don't care about it emotionally, if you don't believe in it, if you don't have faith, it's not going to go anywhere. It'll just float around up here with a bunch of other good ideas that never seem to go anyplace because you don't care about them. And again, how bizarre is it 
And here we are as adults in the year 2009, and I'm immersed in the human potential movement, and I just don't hear nearly enough people talking about the basics of thought, feeling, and behavior. So this is called, in the esoteric literature, a mental polarization. And it is the best way to proceed, to, to, to have an interaction of thoughts and feelings. I think, I feel, I feel, I think, feel, feel, think, feel, think, 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 feel, feel, think, feel, feel, back and forth, right? Can you relate to that? But a woman or a man who is well studied in mind science, in metaphysics, in mysticism, in uh, esoteric use of consciousness, the development of your awareness, realizes that as the idea begins to form in your, your mind of what it is that you really want, you make the decision mentally to create an ideation, an energy, a clear, specific result, an outcome, a goal. And that ment mental thought then impacts the emotional nature and picks up a force or a drive, uh, a passion, an interest at the very least which then creates an outcome. Now, that's ideal, but I'm afraid for most of us, it's rare. Most of the time, because of the nature of stress, we are emotionally polarized. And so out of the interplay of thought, feeling, feeling, thought, 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 feeling, 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 thought, feeling, thought, <laughs> we end up charged with a feeling and do it out of the feeling and then think about it later. This is called emotional polarization and it leads to disaster. It's, why did you do that? Well, because I felt like it. Well, did you ever think about your choices? Well, no, not really. I thought about it after I did it. <laughs> So it's the emotion leads to the behavior, leads to the rationalization. But it's a rationalization rather than a rational thought because it's after the behavior. It's a little too late. <laughs> You've already done it. All right. So look at these two models and ask yourself, am I mostly emotionally polarized or mentally polarized, right? And can I work in my life to be increasingly mentally polarized so that I can manage and account for my feelings, manage and account for my thoughts, and be more than either my thoughts or feelings? The development of conscious awareness begins with choosing how you think and how you feel. 
or what you think and what you feel. To choose your thoughts and to choose your feelings is to be mindfully aware. Now, this is often presented as Eastern philosophy where we are told that mindfulness is to refuse to experience any thought or any feeling. That the type of meditation, technically called contemplation, is about clearing the mind of all thoughts and feelings to be aware that you remain. That, that you can have no thoughts and no feelings and yet you exist. Most people will grow old and die and never have the experience of not thinking. I mean, even when you're asleep, you have dreams that you often remember upon awakening, right? So it would seem that from birth to death, or even before birth, and maybe even after death, we're thinking. But we may not be conscious or aware of the thinking. The point is, you are not the thinking or the feeling, you are the awareness. And if you're not aware that you exist as the awareness, (laughs) then that's all we've got left, is I think and I am the thinker, and I will do whatever my thoughts tell me to do, because I am reasonable. Except for those times when I'm not, and I do what I do because my feelings tell me to. But I am a victim of my thoughts and feelings. I do what my thoughts tell me to do. I do, in other cases, what my feelings tell me to do. Consider being the person who chooses your thoughts and feelings. You may think you do that. But if you're not sure, then there's room for improvement, right? Hold on a sec here. Before my coffee gets too cold. Now, having said this much, Let me talk even more specifically about the difference between thoughts and feelings. And by the way, if any of you know of any books that speak uh, as I'm speaking, that that, um, draw this line between, well, I don't, it's not a line between, that compare and contrast thoughts and feelings in the way I'm about to do, if you have any reference material that you can recommend to me, I'd love to see it because I'm feeling um, like there's not a lot of folks even in the field that are able to talk about the distinctions in the way that I have begun to, and I need some help. I need your help. I need the help of other professionals to flesh this out because mindfulness, is nothing more than the next quantum leap in human evolution. When some significant number of our neighbors wake up to the fact that we have invented this reality, that the world is the way it is because it's a reflection of the way we think and feel, 
then we can give up being helpless victims and change our thoughts and feelings to change the world. You don't like the movie that, that you see in the movie theater? Well, don't run at the screen to change it. Go to the projection booth. Go to your thoughts and feelings. In other words, if you don't like the movie that is your reality, you're the one that's making it up. And to get that, and to understand that, and to remember that, and to drop the apparent advantage of helplessness and victimization, believing that life is what's done to you, in favor of the realization, the expanded awareness that, in fact, life is what I do with what appears to be done to me. And in the chicken and the egg of this two-way street, life is what happens to me, and then, of course, there's that other part, what do I do with what's done to me? The latter is much more important. How you respond to what's done to you and what you initiate is much more important than any response that you get. And that requires a level of mindfulness. And people can say, as they often will, life is what you make it, but they don't believe it. The vast majority of of what passes for small talk is appeals for sympathy because I am a helpless victim and life isn't fair and it's a burden and it's being done to me and wait a minute, what happened to life is what you make it. Oh, shut up with that stuff right now. I'm appealing for sympathy. I mean, if you don't like your life, then change your mind. Change your feelings and change your behavior. There's the three, the mental, emotional, and physical. You know how to change your mind, you know how to change your behavior, maybe the missing piece is you haven't yet learned how to change your emotions. And in order to affect any kind of change or influence of any kind, you're going to have to be the awareness of the feeling rather than simply a victim of the feeling. You're going to have to have choices. What am I going to do with this feeling? Well, how about understand it? Well, that's a great idea, Michael. I'd love to understand my feelings. Uh, how do I do that? Or for many of the men listening to this program, yeah, sure, my wife would really love that. I'll work on feeling my feelings. By the way, what's an emotion? What's a feeling? Because I'm not sure I've ever had any. Except the really, really big ones. If I, you know, uh, if something wonderful happens, I'll get excited, and something horrible happens, I'll feel the hurt. But it's got to be big, because generally... I'm lost in my thoughts. I'm lost in my thoughts. And I don't even know what a feeling is. Right? Well, let's talk about some of the differences. And again, in a matter of minutes, I'm going to go to the telephones, 
and to the webpage for your comments and your questions by voice or text. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was going to have a ringer call in. And last week he was all set to call in and show you all how easy it is to do. And he had to go to work at the last minute, and I got an email from him this morning, and now he's sick, so my ringer of the week. <laughs> Pun intended, my ringer of the week is not available. So I'm going to appeal to those of you on the phone um, to, to participate when we come to that part uh, as well. So we always have nice text messages, and if we can get a few phone calls in here, I think it'll be really cool. Uh, for those of us who listen live, more of an incentive. The vast majority of people that listen to this program hear it as a replay, either streaming or podcast. We have hundreds and hundreds of people that listen to this program. I'm not going to lie and say thousands. There are hundreds of people that listen, but... To the live program, there might be 25, 30, 35 people. And of those people, only a handful would ever call. And uh, so it's just sort of like talk radio that the caller is not the typical listener. Most listeners to talk radio never call a show. But I would like to develop it. I think it really will add a lot. So we'll do that in a minute. And note-takers, those of you who do take notes, and I hear from you, and I love getting your email. Here we go. Pick up your pen if you haven't already. And you might even want to make two columns and put thoughts at the head of one column and emotional feelings at the head of the second column. And for number one, the first distinction between thoughts and feelings has to be that thoughts tend to be objective in nature. And feelings, emotional feelings, are subjective. By the way, before I get much farther into this, I have been asked over the years if there's a difference between an emotion and a feeling, or between an emotion and an emotional feeling, or affect. And... My answer is no, generally no. At the level we're discussing it, emotion or feeling or emotional feeling or affect is all pretty much the same thing. But I, I, I feel uh, that I, I, I should let you know that there are people in the field that have their distinctions, notably Carl Jung, the great psychoanalyst, uh, uh, C.G. Young said, yes, there is a difference. He said that a emotion is a response to a value and a feeling is a response to a quality. Now, that's provocative of nothing else, isn't it? Isn't that deep, wonderfully deep? That an emotion is a response to a value and a feeling is a response to a quality. It begs the question, what's the difference between a quality and a value? <laughs> right. But uh, 
that's Jung's model. So for our purposes, they're all the same thing. And if at some point you discern some difference and want to talk about it, well, let me know. Send me an email, or if it's during class, um, you can raise your hand by hitting star 2 on the telephone pad or put a text message into the fields on the web page in front of you. But having said that, let's go back to number one. Thoughts are objective. Feelings are subjective. What does that mean? It means your thoughts are about the objects in the world. Your thoughts are about everything in the world except you. And when you think about yourself, you're misapplying, for the most part, the mental nature. You become, when you think about yourself, you're using... It's like, it's like looking at a body part through binoculars. You know, these binoculars are designed to look at things far away. And thoughts are for understanding things at a distance, held out, held apart. And when you turn the, the, the thinking nature to the self, it tends to be judgmental, negative, and particularly critical. When you say that you are self-loathing, that you hate yourself, you despise yourself, or you hate the critical part of you, all right? Um, sometimes it's called the critical parent that we all have, that voice inside that beats you up. That's mental in nature, and it's largely misapplied. I'm not saying you can never or should never think about yourself. Well, I'm saying that's mostly what feelings are for. Thoughts are primarily for the world around you. And so you go to school, and they teach you to think. And they may teach you to think for yourself, although that's unlikely. Usually they teach you to think like everybody else. But notice that even more importantly, you're not told to think about yourself. You never had a class in thinking about yourself. You never took a class about why we think the way we think. You might have had some philosophy class on logic. You might have had a great teacher in geometry that talked to you about being logical, but... Or, or reasonable, or rational, or deductive in your thinking. But they didn't tell you to apply that to yourself. All the classes that you have in school are about the world around you. And that's what your thoughts are for. To know that which is not you. Thoughts are, by their very nature, objective. They're about the objects around you. Your emotions, on the other hand, your emotional feelings are subjective. They're about the subject of your life. And guess who that is? Even though it might be a little scary to consider, you are the point. You are the subject of your life.
terrifying though it may be you are the leading character of your life you are the main entree <laughs> you're here to live your life nobody else's and to understand yourself notice how much time you spend understanding others so that you can influence, persuade, and maybe even control others, and contrast that to how little time we spend reflecting upon ourselves out of a desire to manage ourselves. We would rather manage the whole world than manage ourselves. We would rather change the whole world rather than change ourselves. How many rallies have you been to? Save the world! I bet you never saw a sign that said, Save yourself. <laughs> oh, that would be selfish. I don't think so. Maybe saving yourself is the best way to save the world. Now you have a stake in it. <laughs> now you have no one to blame. As you take responsibility for this second intelligence, this second way to know and understand things, emotional intelligence, your EQ, which is subjective by its very nature, that is, about the subject, and that's you. Your emotional feelings are personal. That's what subjective means. Thoughts tend to be universal or collective. They're about out there and all of that, and them, and they. But the emotional nature is subjective. It's about I, me, mine, and maybe a little bit of us, depending on how you interpret us. Very, very important distinction. But there's more. Here's another one for you. Number two, are you ready? Thoughts can be wrong. Now, you know this is true. I don't have to persuade or convince you to accept the idea that you've had ideas that were wrong. <laughs> you've taken tests. And on some of those tests, you got answers that were determined to be wrong even though you knew they were right at the time. Sometimes we take a test, we don't know the answer, we guess, we get it wrong, all right. Sometimes we think we know the answer, we get it wrong, all right. Well, what about all those times where you know you know the answer and you still get it wrong? Wouldn't that tend to, or maybe better said, should not that tend to undermine your faith in your ability to think for yourself if so many of your thoughts are wrong and you go to school and you study and you read the book and you pay attention in class and dedicate yourself to understanding a topic and then you take a test and your thoughts are still wrong many of them you could get a quarter of the, maybe a quarter of what you think about the subject wrong 
and still get a B or a C. You have to be very, very wrong to fail. How is it that we could be so confused? And then, leaving school and going out into the world, what is this phony confidence? Where all of a sudden, now, because you're out of school and you're not taking any tests, save for maybe the DMV, thank goodness I'm done taking those tests. Well, now you just presume all of your thoughts are right. Well, I thought the war was a good idea. Well, I thought health care was a government takeover. Well, I thought... And your thoughts are wrong. What are you going to do about that? Especially considering that... By their nature, they seem to be designed to deal with everything but you. So if you use a way of understanding the mental thinking process and misapply it by trying to understand yourself, then those thoughts could be wrong too. Seems to me we need a way of understanding ourselves that's never wrong. A second backup intelligence that could not possibly be wrong. And the good news is we have it. It's emotional intelligence. And so line two, under the first column, the thoughts can be wrong. Under the second column, emotional feelings are never wrong. This is stunning. I mean, hold on. Take a breath right now. Breathe. What? My feelings are never wrong? Does better know what he's saying? How many times in your life has someone said to you, oh, you shouldn't feel that way? <clears throat> don't feel that way. I don't want you to feel that way. And it's a, it's a crazy statement. Those are all crazy statements. It's like, well, I can do that with my thoughts because I reasoned my way here. So I could change the way I think. I could approach it intellectually from another point of view. But how do I change my feelings? And that's really what this whole class today on sense and sensation is pointing to is emotional management, developing emotional intelligence, and becoming aware that you can get to a point of mindfulness where you are at a point of choice in the present moment. You have to be in the now. You can't change your mind or change your feelings or change your behavior in the past. It's difficult to do in the future, although you can make plans. Your point of action is right now. What did I say in the newsletter? Where history meets mystery, where what was meets what is yet to be. The only place that you can take action. Next week's program in our Finding Yourself in Paradise premium audio series at FocusedFashion.com is called Right Action Right Now. 
And that's a studio-quality program. It's podcast. It's pre-recorded. Steve and I have already done it. It's part of our premium audio series that focused passion. And we'll, we'll carry on with this idea that your point of power is right here, right now. And it's also where you can be stress-free. Most of your stress is in the past, regrets and resentments, or in the future, fears and worries and doubts. But if you look around right here, right now, you're safe. You can change your behavior. You can change your mind. You can change your feelings. And you are the one that can be mindful enough to choose how you feel about your thoughts, feelings, and behavior. What a crazy idea. <laughs> Change how you feel, as well as how you think and behave. Okay, And, of course, the place we do that is in the alpha brainwave level, paradise thinking, accessing that higher self, the self you find in paradise. Think of the implications of your feelings are never wrong. If you feel the way you feel, physically, have you ever questioned the feeling? Like, I uh, feel feverish. Well, usually, if you take your temperature, when you feel feverish, sure enough, you've got a fever. You weren't wrong about that sensation. Okay. Um, or I'm feeling sick to my stomach, or I'm feeling a headache. Who would ever say to you, well, I don't want you to feel that way. Um, you shouldn't feel that way. There's no reason for you to have a headache or be sick to your stomach that I can think of, so maybe those feelings are wrong. But, you know, inaccurate. I think certain, uh, what's the word, puritanical, uh, sexually repressed people can talk about uh, certain sensations or pleasures being morally wrong, but that the, 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 the feeling is a result of a particular kind of stimulation is accurate. It's not inaccurate or incomplete or wrong. It, it you know, it feels the way it feels. And that's not going to change. So if you've never had a physical symptom, pain, pleasure, that you or anyone else thought could be wrong, right? Why are you limping? I don't know. I, I think I hurt my foot somehow. Well, maybe it's wrong. You shouldn't feel that way. I don't know. It hurts. I think maybe I did something. Well, if your physical feelings can't be wrong, why do you think your emotional feelings could ever be wrong? Your thoughts can be wrong. You know that. You've had lots of wrong thoughts. You cannot have wrong feelings. Now, I'm going to leave it at these two points. These are the two primary points that I'd like to make in terms of introducing you to distinctions between thoughts and feelings. Two forms of intelligence, 
two ways of knowing things. Two-thirds of a trinity in man. If you get the trinity down, the mental, emotional, and physical nature, and you go back to that, it's going to serve you in countless ways. Remember, Plato talked about mind, body, and soul. And so soul would be a spiritual aspect. It really stands above the mental, emotional, and physical. What Plato did was combine the mental and emotional. We do that even today with mental health. Mental health includes emotional health. We don't have special emotional health careers. It's all called mental health. So combining the mental and emotional nature, you get mind, body, and soul. Well, the trinity from the bottom up would be physical, emotional, mental, and then the soul would be a fourth element that stands above the lower three. But those lower three, the mental, emotional, and physical, are the lower correspondence of divine qualities. God the Father represents the will or the mental nature of the most divine. The Son, the Christ, the Christos, the Buddha nature represents the emotional nature of God, the love of God. And the Mother, which Christians have decided to call Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, the Mother aspect is the physical body of God. That's the physical universe all the stars and the galaxies and the planets and all the creatures that populate the creation. You have a creator, you have a creation, and you have creatures <laughs> that are part of the creation. And to get that trinity down and to see the mental, emotional, and physical nature in man as the lower correspondence is to say, well, wait a minute, I have my thoughts and I have my feelings, and then I have my physical body, my health, and my behavior. And yet I am the consciousness or the soul that stands above those lower three. And that's mindfulness. I can, by coming to classes like this, reading the right kinds of books, and studying, as well as practicing meditation and contemplation, become aware of myself as the awareness of my thoughts and feelings and behavior. Rather than thinking that I am my thoughts, or feeling as if I am my feelings, or being as if I am the behavior I take. This is not that complicated, is it? You are ultimately this elevated point of view, this higher self that can look down on your thoughts and say, use these to understand the world around you. Sometimes your thoughts will be wrong. Sometimes they will be right. And from this higher point of view, this elevated higher self, the spiritual soul plane, if you will, above the lower three. You can do the same thing with your feelings. You watch your feelings. You observe them. You witness them. And know that they're about you, not about the person 
the group or the event that made you feel that way. Your anger tells you nothing about the person that made you angry. Your sadness tells you very little about the circumstance or event that precipitated that sadness. The anger, the sadness, and every other emotion is evoked from within by the individual, the group, or the circumstance. But it's evoked from you, not done to you. It comes out of you. It's yours. <laughs> that should be so liberating. My feelings are about me, and my feelings are never wrong. However, if I use my thoughts to discern my feelings, my thoughts could be wrong. So, if I don't do this correctly, I could misunderstand or misinterpret an emotion. But the signal itself is not wrong. It's like if you were suddenly introduced to the cockpit of a 747, these gauges may all be right, but you don't know how to read the gauges, and so you make some inaccurate inferences because you thought that the gauges meant one thing and they meant another. The thoughts could be wrong. doesn't mean the gauges are wrong. So you can misunderstand your feelings. But the feeling itself is not wrong. And if you misunderstand it, it just means you're in a overstimulated uh, level of mind. You're in high beta or even moderate levels of beta brainwaves. You need to relax, to calm down, to become cool and collected, to lower the stimulus, or ignore the stimulus, to relax, to get quiet, the emotional nature calms down, and the mental nature quiets, and then you're much more likely to have an accurate understanding of what those emotional feelings are trying to tell you about you. Okay? So, Having said that much, I want to go to your questions and your comments. We got a good turnout today, so let's see if we have anybody who wants to talk to us. If you're on the telephone or willing to call the program, the class now live, if you are listening live on the, what did I say today was the 8th? Yeah, November 8th, 2009. Um, Use any of the telephone numbers on the uh, web page in front of you, right above the player. There's a link that says other numbers with scores of phone numbers all over the U.S. Use any one of those numbers to hook up. When prompted, enter the conference ID. And then if you would like to ask a question, press star 2. And that will raise your hand. Just do it once. If you do it a second time, it will lower your hand and I won't see it. That's if you have any question and you'd like to ask it over the telephone. That's fun. We're hoping to do that. And then, of course, we also have, for those of you who uh, would rather just type your question in, um, the web page in front of you where lots of people check in. So uh, I don't see any hands raised on the telephone, so let's go to the web page and <coughs> excuse me, see who's here to say hello to us.
by the uh, on the internet. Uh, first of all, in La Habra, Carol Pastel is with us, and uh, hello, Carol. Hi again. She says to Michael Andarine, hello, Carol. And uh, Bridget or Brigitte is with us from Italy, Brescia, 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 Italy. Hello, Brigitte. She says, uh, hi to everybody from Italy. Michael, I still cannot listen via the web. Sooner or later, I'll figure it out. But tomorrow, I'll listen to it from the archives. Uh, good evening to all of you, and hoping that everything is getting better and better. Um, yeah, I got an email from Bridget about that. I'm not sure what to tell you to do except it's possible that the web browser you're using, like Internet Explorer or Firefox, uh, is set in such a way that it does not use some of the more advanced features, like you may need JavaScript um, or some other setting on your browser to be adjusted in order to get the program. Not sure what to tell you, but I bet you'll figure it out. Anyway, it's wonderful to have you with us from Italy. And uh, Patricia Vega is with us from Los Angeles, almost as far away. She says, can the emotion you use to push the idea be anger as well as happy anticipation? And does the type of emotion matter as long as it is a force to push the idea? Ah, very good. Uh, no, anger uh, doesn't work. Uh, you can sometimes transform your anger into determination or a conviction of some sort. But um, a positive, motivating feeling has to be, well, it has to be positive. It has to be love-based. It has to be... Um, attractive. Think of a bar magnet and uh, to be attracted for one pole of a magnet to be attracted to the iron filings for example um, it has to have a particular charge so a positive charge we generally think of as being attractive or if I have a positive feeling about you I'm magnetically attracted to you. Negative feelings like anger or any fear-based feeling is like the negative end of the bar magnet and it will repel. Okay, um, So you can feel that in your relationships. Um, I don't mean just Patricia, I mean all of us can in our relationships with our friends and even our spouses and the kids and our parents somebody upsets us, you can actually feel the polarity reversing and feel repulsed or revulsed, uh, feel pushed away. Or, you know, that's it, I'm out of here. Or you just turn and walk out of the room. All negative feelings will tend to do that, will repel you, right? The positive feelings are the attracted feelings that's uh, any love-based feeling is going to be affirmative in nature and therefore move you toward what it is that you want to create. 
Now, let me just go a little farther with this, uh, Patricia, a little further, rather. Both are forms of motivation. There are basically two motivations, love and fear. And if I were to stop at this point and move on, uh, I'm, I'm being incomplete. Uh, the truth is we can motivate ourselves and others with fear, but it extracts a horrible, horrible price. It causes damage, often permanent damage. So let's just look at parenting, for example. You can motivate your kids, any one of us could motivate our kids with fear. You better do this, or I'll hit you so hard your friends will hurt. I'm going to knock you in the middle of next Tuesday, or I'll ground you, or go to bed without supper, or one of those humiliating timeouts, or whatever, depending on the age. Uh, take away your car keys, what have you. My mother just canceled my car insurance one day. <laughs> that fixed me. I was 16 years old. Uh, took care of it right, right there. No argument. But the price that is extracted, the cost in your relationship with your kids, um, can be permanently destructive. It, it breaks a child's spirit. So if you go then to the way adults manage other adults in business, for example, most business management is just parenting. And so the same mistakes we make as parents, we tend to repeat in business, which is to generally motivate with fear because it works and it's easy. It's, hey, do the job, uh, work these extra hours, uh, do it without complaining. Do it off the clock. I expect you to take this stuff home if you can't finish it at work. Or I'll find somebody else who can. You know, there's a lot of unemployment. They'll line out my door down the block and around the corner of people that would be happy to take your job. So it's very easy to motivate children or to motivate workers. Um and I, by that, you know, at any level, blue collar, white collar, whatever. Um, even in religion, you're often uh, religion is supposed to be about love, and often the preacher is up there banging the pulpit and threatening you with fire and brimstone because fear works. It's a little bizarre to sell a religion based on love via fear, but if nothing else, it's a testament to the fact that fear works. It just extracts a horrible price. Training animals. You know, you can break a horse. You can beat a dog. You can chase the cat and throw water on it. There's lots of things you can do to motivate the animal. But the fear-based stuff like anger, uh, threats, hostility, uh, is always going to extract a horrible price. So it does work, but it's rarely worth it. Love is much more difficult. To motivate people with love and vision may require you to sit on and mindfully feel your feelings and maybe even empathize a little bit. Or maybe it calls for some reflective communication where you actually listen 
You know, I always get a kick out of parents who say, oh, my kids never listen to me. I talk and talk till I'm blue in the face, and the kids never listen to me. And I say, and what do they tell you when you listen to them? And often as not, there's a long pause because they realize they're not listening to their children and they're not using questions. A parent that has no questions and has no patience or time to listen to the child is going to be responsible for a lot of that child's problems. Why is the child acting out? Because they want an audience. They want some attention. They want to be heard and understood. And like every other argument we have, we think we want to win the argument. We think we want agreement, but we don't. We just need acknowledgement. Tell your kids, after you listen to them, I understand that you feel da-da-da-da-da-da. Tell your spouse, after listening, I understand that you feel da-da-da-da-da-da. That fixes everything. Well, wait, you say, wait. I thought the argument was each person wanted the other person to agree. <laughs> no. Nobody cares if you agree with them. Your spouse doesn't want you to agree. Your kids, your parents, your co-workers, they don't want your agreement. They want your understanding. If you would, but listen as a leader. We understand the leadership part where you talk and give orders. If you would listen as a leader, you could provide the acknowledgement. I understand how you could feel that way. I don't agree with you, and I'm going to decide this way instead of the way you want me to decide. But I do hear and understand you. In fact, let me play it back for you. I hear that you're feeling da-da-da-da-da-da. Now, the person knows that they're heard and understood. That's all they wanted, that agreement. So, there's a lot here, Patricia, when you ask about, can anger be a motivator? I've got to admit it really is, but it's not the best motivator. Um, and if out of anger, we get a sense of determination, uh, then realize that you've done this alchemical conversion to lift anger from heat to light. That's a nice little alchemical allegory. We want to take our anger, it's an energy that's real, but lift it from the heat that burns and hurts to the light that illumines. You see, and now you've transmuted the lower frequency of the anger to the higher frequency of illumination. And that transmutation, that healing, is another example of becoming mindful of your thoughts and feelings rather than being driven by, compelled by, and fixated upon the thought and the feeling. Patricia goes on, if you are mindful of your anger or excitement or any other emotion except maybe hatred, is that okay as a force behind your idea? 
Uh, pretty much the same question restated. Okay, so thanks for that. Out of uh, southern England this morning, Ginger is with us. Hello, Ginger. Ginger Gilmore. She says, Aloha, Michael. Tried to call and surprise you, but um, the conference ID I used was not accepted. Shucks. Love listening anyway on Sundays. What a great bedtime story, Ginger. So, like Brigitte in Italy, it's uh, evening in Europe. And, uh, Ginger, I think the problem may just be that uh, the telephone bridge only works in the United States. I don't know. I've had so few calls from stateside yet that I haven't really received any calls on the system from uh, overseas. Oh, no, that's not true, come to think of it. We had somebody call from Amsterdam a few months ago, so I'm not sure why that didn't work. Wish I could be more help to you on that. But anyway, thanks for being there. Nice to hear from you uh, in, uh, in England. And let's see, North Dakota, Park River, North Dakota. David Cantu says, hello, Michael, great topic. Thanks a lot. Let me hit refresh, see what else we have. David James, I'm sorry, Philip James in Winnetka says, um, I don't know what's happening, but Internet Explorer keeps closing while I try to listen. wonder if others are having the same problem. Maybe this could be brought up to the host of Ageless Wisdom. Well, that's me. Uh, Internet Explorer keeps closing. Can't imagine. A lot of folks are having a lot of different problems. Can't imagine. We've been doing this a year and a half, so if you're new and you're having a problem like this, just play around with it. And know that you can always listen to the podcast at the iTunes store or any of the major podcast directories. You can even subscribe to it if you want for free. And, uh, gosh, if you keep trying, I bet you'll figure out whatever your, whatever your problems may be. And then Philip writes back again and says, so far so good, maybe I resolved the issue. Maybe the issue resolved itself, now I can listen. So there you go, maybe it did get fixed. And uh, that's cool, appreciate your efforts there. I think one of the best things about the live part of this, because podcasts can't be, so we have to give up the studio quality and go with telephone quality, but we have a group mind here. So you know you've got people listening in Europe, in England, which is not Europe, by the way, ask any British person, and all over the United States and who knows where. And that group mind is available, you see. And when we do our relaxation exercise in just a minute here, I think you'll sense that as well. Um, the recording is nice, and so we'll continue to have it available both streaming and um, by uh, replay by podcast. But uh, I think the ability to listen live is just really super cool. Okay, so um, let's see. I, I see one hand raised, but it says unavailable, so I think that person may have given up. I could try to unmute them. Caller unavailable. Let me see. Let me see if they're there.
Okay, so, uh, yeah, hi, this is Michael. Who's this? Yeah, I can hear me in the background. Yeah, somebody raised their hand. Hi, who is this? Yeah, whoever's pushing the dial. All right. All right, so we can just go right back to putting that person on mute. But see, it works. It works. Okay. Hopefully in the future we'll get real people with real voices. I just got that talk show Jones. Let's do a little relaxation exercise. The difference between thoughts and feelings. And then we'll wrap it up for the day today. Really appreciate you being here. Close your eyes. Take a nice slow deep breath or two. Ah, and it sounds... Uh, exhalation side where we really relax and let go. Get comfortable. Get balanced so that you can sit straight, but not rigidly so. Rather, think of yourself as balanced with your shoulders back, your head directly above your spine, and relax all of those muscles. You know, even a rag doll you can prop up. So allow yourself to feel as limp, as loose as a rag doll. Or as I often say, imagining you're a stick of butter on a warm day that slowly begins to soften. And feel that release of muscular tension from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, from the skin wrapped around the outside of your body, slowly toward the skeletal core of your being to the very marrow of your bones. Feel the letting go. And if you think you're just imagining yourself relaxing, well, that's the right feeling. And imagine that you also feel very, very safe. Safe and relaxed. And if there are areas of your body that tend to gather tension, like for you it might be neck and shoulders, for somebody else it might be lower back, you may want to check to see if your, your buttocks and your hips, your loins are girded, Different people tend to gather tension in different places. You, know, you, you may know yourself well enough to identify that tension and then exhale your next breath right into that area and feel the letting go. Safe and relaxed. Further, I'd like to suggest that you imagine that you're in a beautiful, beautiful place of perfect peace. An outdoor garden in Eden. The most beautiful place you've ever been or could imagine is all around you and the sunlight is coming down through the leaves of the trees. 
and there are warm, sunny meadows and cool, shady places and other areas that are deep, forested places, and you get to be wherever you want, in the forest or the shady glen or sitting in the middle of that sunny meadow full of wildflowers. And imagine a blue sky with white puffy clouds and warm yellow sun. If you're in the direct light, you can feel the warmth of the sun on your skin. Not too hot, just right. If you're in the shade, it feels a little cooler. If you're deep in the forest, it may also feel a little moist or damp. But you find the perfect spot. And sit upon the earth, or maybe a log, a rock, a tree stump. And in this beautiful place, continue the feeling of being so safe and so relaxed. As if time stands still. As if there's nowhere else you'd rather be than right here, right now, with nothing to do for the next six or eight minutes, but allow me to guide you to a place of mindful reflection where you can look at your thoughts and feelings from a detached point of view, not dissociated. You take a step back to see the bigger picture. You detach and become mindful to understand more comprehensively. So this is not dissociation, it's simply mindful detachment. Let go and take one step back as you observe your thoughts and feelings. Think of the two phrases, one, a train of thought, or two, a stream of thought. Consider that emotional feelings are mixed and blended in with those thoughts so that what you have is a train of thoughts and feelings or a stream of consciousness, a stream of thoughts and feelings. and get off the train and then walk away from the train tracks get away from it a bit move back 15-20 feet so that you can see the train from a detached place and see the bigger picture Or 
stream of consciousness crawl out of the stream, get up onto the bank of the stream, and watch that stream of thoughts go by. This is the higher self. This is a mindful point of view where you can choose which thoughts to embrace and which thoughts to release. Which thoughts to pursue in a new line of reasoning and which to throw out because they lead to dead ends and negativity. And so, too, this is the mindful place, detached. Having taken just a few steps back where you can actually look at the flow of emotions within you, you could actually watch your depression without feeling so depressed. At first, you may not notice the difference. But if you just watch depression, imagine if it had a color, what color would it be? If your depression had a temperature, what temperature would it be? If your depression had a texture, how would it feel to the touch? And already your depression is beginning to lift. And so too for your angers, your contempt, your apathy. your jealousy or envy. Watch it in this level of deep relaxation. Let it offer you a color, a temperature, a texture, so you, you can cross wire. And now this emotional feeling actually has a physical feeling, a temperature, a texture, even a color. And the part of you that thinks may pipe up and say, well, wait a minute, you're just making all this stuff up. And reassure from your mindful and detached place. Reassure the thinking part of you that the feeling you're imagining, the feeling you're making it up is exactly right. That there is a time to be logical and a time to use your imagination. Not that imagination is irrational or illogical, it's just non-logical, non-rational. Imagine it. Dream it up. Make it up. Pretend. If I didn't know what this feeling meant, it might be suggesting to me that I... And sit quietly 
and realize the meaning of your feelings. Intuitively, they will dawn upon you or illumine the inside of your head or your heart. As you cultivate the awareness of, oh, I see, as if the light's coming on, oh, I'm starting to hear you as if the volume is finally increasing. I understand as if the crossword puzzle you've been working for an hour is nearing completion and it gets easier and easier to fill in those remaining boxes. Oh, I'm starting to get the bigger picture. Oh, ha ha ha. By letting go and feeling safe, Rather than trying harder and harder and harder, I did the opposite. I, I took some breaths and I relaxed and I went in the other direction and began to understand thoughts that I had not understood and maybe even more importantly and certainly more personally began to realize why I feel the way I feel and have felt the way I felt. Oh, I see now. And tell yourself this will be easy to remember. And easy to repeat. And take a nice, slow, deep breath as you reorient yourself, remembering where you are, and as you exhale slowly, open your eyes now, wide awake, rested, refreshed, alert, back in the room, feeling fine, bringing with you effortlessly whatever insight, understanding, or awareness came from that process of reflection, of thinking about your thoughts, of feeling your feelings without being either thought or feeling, but the mindful, detached witness that stands above and observes dispassionately, without judgment, without needing to be right or wrong, but just aware. You know, emotional intelligence and emotional management is such a fascinating field. It is so much a function of the stake that we have in the relationship that's stimulating our emotions. Uh, next time you get upset with somebody, here's a little clue I'll leave you with, just a little, little hint, a little game for you to play with yourself. All you have to do is remember to do the exercise. That'll be the hard part. <laughs> to remember to get conscious enough to be the consciousness. To remember to remember to be aware and to catch yourself. 
Imagine if you came home on Halloween Eve, all dressed up in your silly Halloween costume, and you forgot to take off the costume, and you went to school or work the next day in the Halloween outfit, and you just kept playing the role. You know, or you're in a play at school or community community theater of some sort, and you got into character, and after the play, you stayed in character. And you forgot about the person that you were before you assumed the character or the Halloween costume. Well, that's most people most of the time. We become the role that we play. We become the character that we offer up, the front. What did the who call it? The eminent front. Adultery answers, it's a put-on. Of course it's a put-on. Because when you take off the mask and the costume, when you let go of the script and put down the role, and you're left being who you really are, for most people that's pretty scary. Just because it's new and unknown. So next time somebody upsets you, here's a little game that you can play. Think about this person, why they upset you. Remember that those emotions are being evoked from you, that they're upsetting you through a behavior that is bringing these feelings out of you. If they're making you angry, they didn't do the anger to you. They brought the anger out of you. This may be the most important insight you'll ever get in your whole life. Okay. Whatever is the feeling that's being precipitated here is coming out of you in response to their behavior, their speech. And then realize that it's associated with your relationship with this person. And if the person that was causing you to feel this way was a person that lived seven houses down the block, or at the end of the block and around the corner, and you knew them, but not very well, and they said the very same thing to you, would it hurt as much? And of course it would not. You'd look at them like, what do you know? Or go even further, imagine it's somebody from another city or another state who lives far away and you've never even met them, and suddenly they're talking to you, saying the same things that your spouse or kid or parent or co-worker said to you that hurt you so deeply, only now it's a complete stranger that said the very same thing to you. Would it feel the same? Well, of course not. Because they're your feelings. And they reflect your relationship with this individual. What was done to you was the same. They said the same words, hypothetically. And so they stimulated you in the same way. But what came out of you, what upset you, hurt you, angered you, was about you. And what you need from this relationship. And if it's a stranger, you don't need very much from that relationship. So yeah, well, whatever. Have you, you know, you don't know me, so whatever. Go about your merry way. I don't care what you think. So why do we care what anybody thinks about you? 
The degree to which you are concerned about what other people think is a perfect corollary to the degree to which you do not know yourself. I'll say it more eloquently. The more you know yourself and the better you know yourself, the less it matters what other people think. It becomes irrelevant what you think of me. I might be interested in what you think about this or that or the other thing. I might be interested in how you feel about yourself. But when it comes to what you think about me, I might have some curiosity or interest, but if it's hostile and negative, I I don't have to attach any importance to that at all because I'm in a position of knowing me pretty well. Some say, well, that's arrogance. Now you're conceited. Now you're pompous. Got a big ego. No, confidence does not come from a big ego. A big ego is a cover for not knowing who you are. The truth is, the more you know about who you are, the less it matters what other people think of you, and the humbler and kinder you will become. Hope you'll check out our premium audio programs at FocusedPassion.com. There's six programs there for you, exactly free. Um, (laughs) Exactly free. What am I trying to say? There are six programs available for you at FocusedPassion.com. Four of them are accelerated learning programs. There's two other complete programs, usually 45 to 50 minutes long. Uh, A Focused Passion account is free. Just leave your name and your email, choose a password, and you can log on anytime you want. Listen to those free programs, any of the six or all of the six. Forward them to your friends if you'd like. Uh, And then if you want to buy a past program from our archive or subscribe to the feed, it's only 99 cents. Build monthly at 396. And you get to control your own account right there on that page. You can unsubscribe and resubscribe and um, change your contact information. You don't have to come back to us. You manage your own account. All for 99 cents. Powerful programs. If you're not happy at the end of the month, we'll refund your $3.96. We guarantee that you're going to love these personal empowerment programs. I think it's the best stuff out there. Steve is a remarkable CEO trainer uh, like me. He's had 35 years of research. We've done a lot of the work for you, I'll put it that way, in terms of research and the personal and spiritual development and In addition to this webinar every Sunday for free, we'd like you to check out FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, FocusedPassion.com. Love to know what you think. Talk to you next week. Look for the newsletter on Friday. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Maui, aloha. This is Michael Benner.